Hey, View, thank you so much for joining us tonight. For those of you that don't know me, I'm KB. I'm the Next Gen Pastor here at City Hope Church. And I love every opportunity that I get to be in front of you guys and speaking to you guys. Um, I love how Pastor Jared opened up this series last week uh, and talking about how in this crisis, we're not here just to survive it but we're here to thrive in it. And so, so before we, we jump into our content tonight, I, I wanna challenge you with something. Tonight, this is gonna require trust. It's, it's, it's gonna require some trust. And, and here's the thing, we, we gotta trust God. And, and some days that's really easy to do. Some days we have no problem. Like, yeah, sure, I trust God, everything's going great. Then there's other days that you're gonna have to choose to trust God. That the situations and things that are happening in your life they're, they're not really easy to understand. They're, they're not easy to deal with. And, and today may be one of those days that you're having to choose trust. And so, so I, I wanna encourage you tonight with this. Before we dive in, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses seven and eight. This is, God showed me this the other day. And so I wanna share it with you. It says, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. See, when, when we continue to trust in this very difficult season, you know, we can continue to grow and, and even produce fruit throughout this time, even in months of drought. I love what it says here. I, I wanna be compared to one of those trees that's not bothered by drought. It's not bothered by a difficult situation. That, that when things come against me, my growth in, in Jesus is not stunted by anything. But that requires us to trust him. And so once again, tonight may be one of those nights you're like, yeah, I got no problem trusting God. Everything's good. Everything's great. Or tonight may be one of those nights that you need to choose trust. And so, so as we get ready to jump in, you're, you're going to need to trust God as we go through this tonight. So let me pray for you and then we'll get started. God, I thank you for this time tonight. Lord, I thank you for every person who's watching this. Lord, I pray that you would help them, that this would be beneficial to them tonight. God, I, I pray that they would choose to trust you in all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is week two of a series that we've called Major Keys. We're going through the book of Ephesians. And tonight we're talking about Ephesians chapter two. So if you got your Bible, if you don't, go ahead and grab it really quick or, or pull it up on another device. You're gonna need your Bible. Ephesians chapter two, that's where we're gonna be hanging out at. And uh, we're really, we're gonna be looking at verses one through 10 tonight. That's where we're gonna be focused on. And, uh, and, and Pastor Jerry was absolutely right when he talked about this letter uh, that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, that this is, this is really about identity and purpose. And you're gonna see that more than anything as we look at these passages tonight. And so let's start with uh, chapter two, verse one. And uh, we're just gonna read a couple verses. We're gonna skip around a little bit. But this is what it says. Ephesians chapter two, verse one. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. All right, I, I wanna stop right there because here's what you need to know, first of all, that Paul at the end of chapter one 
was in the middle of explaining just something amazing about God. And we're going to get to it because halfway through this passage, starting in verse four, he comes back and he begins repeating what he was talking about. This is, this is one of those moments when a thought interrupted him and he, and he had to begin talking about it. Does, is, does anybody do that? Or does anybody have a friend like that? Um, I have a friend like that. He's actually in this room right now. His name is Chris Wingo. And, and he and I, um, you know, whenever he comes in to start a conversation with me, first of all, I don't know if we've ever finished a conversation because he'll come in to my office and he'll ask me a question and start this conversation. And 30 minutes later, not only have we not answered that question, but we've talked about six other things. And now I have like 10 unanswered questions. All right. Because it's just one, one thing right after another. Anybody, anybody else have a friend like that? If you don't, you may be that friend. It's cool. I understand. You know, it, it, they, those people, they remind me of the dog character in the movie Up. They're talking to you and everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, squirrel. And they're off in left field and, and, and they're chasing after something else, talking about something else. But that's what happens to Paul here. He kind of has this squirrel moment. And, and they were like, well, I guess we're going to start a new chapter here because he's, he's completely gone away in the middle of this amazing thought that he was having. And so in chapter two, this is, if I could sum up these first three verses, this is what he's saying. He's saying sin separates us from God. It doesn't separate us from God's love, but sin separates us from God. And let me tell you something, that was, was not a popular teaching then. You know, that doesn't make people be like, man, you're, you're awesome. But even more so now. Because we want to live, you know, we, we live in a world that says, I live the way you want. And if it's okay for you, then it's okay. But Paul's very clear. He says, sin separates us from God. You know, one translation, it says it like this. You were mired in that old stagnant life. And I love the picture that comes from that because, because you think about that word stagnant. When I think of the word stagnant, I think of something that, that doesn't change. It's not moving that there's just, there's no momentum from it. And so let me ask you a question. Does that describe your life right now? No movement, no change, no momentum. Would you say that that describes maybe your relationship with God? You know, in, in looking at what Paul said, I think if, if that is how you're feeling right now, then could it be that, that there is some sin in your life that is separating you from God? Once again, nothing separates us from God's love, but sin does separate us from his presence, from his power, from him working in us and through us. Is that something that's happening in your life? You know, we talk about social distancing a lot right now and all of those things. I'm, I'm less concerned right now about the distance that I'm creating socially with people, I'm actually more concerned about the distance that my sin is creating between me and God. That's what I'm more concerned about. And I would challenge you to be concerned about the same thing. You know, when you're, when you're spiritually stagnant, it's really hard to have a sense of purpose and identity. And maybe, maybe not you're struggling with that. You're struggling with your sense of purpose and your sense of identity. It could just be that there's, there's some stagnant life like Paul is talking about there, that old stagnant life. And so I wanna challenge you with something. If you, if you feel that way about your relationship with God, if it's just stagnant, if there's, if there's no moving, no change, no momentum, here's what I want you to do. I want you to DM us to our social media platform here 
and just simply DM us the word momentum. And that's gonna let us know how to pray for you, but it's also gonna let us know how, you know, when we get in contact with you, what, what it is that, that you're gonna need to talk about and, and how we can appropriately uh, care for you and lead you. But here's what, all, here's what it also does. It causes some movement in your life. It causes you to get real honest with yourself. It's that realization that what's missing in my relationship with God is not his presence, but it's my submission. Giving him all of me, giving him everything. That's what's missing. It's really easy to blame God in those times. This is a realization that says, hey, hey you know what? There's some things in my life that I haven't submitted to God. And that's what I wanna do. So DM us the word momentum. And we want to help you. We want to lead you. We want an opportunity to pray for you because we want you to begin breaking out of that stagnant life. So that's the, that's the first thing that we're going to see here. So now let's go back to the end of chapter one and then pick it up, you know, in verse four of this new chapter, this thought that was interrupted. Okay, so here's what, here's what he's talking about in chapter one. He finishes chapter one talking about how it was God's power that raised Christ from the dead. All right, it was the power of God that raised him from the dead. And, and at the end of chapter one, he's talking about how we are the benefactors of that, that we're gonna be seated in places of honor with Jesus because of this. You know, in fact, he repeats all of those things in the next few verses in chapter two. So it's like he's getting back into his groove of his original thought. You know, he's finally done chasing the, the squirrel thought around and now he's getting back to his original thought and everything. And so, so let's look at, he's, at how he sums this up in verses eight and nine. So, so he takes the end of chapter one and the middle section here of chapter two, and then he sums it up in verses eight and nine. And this is what he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. So none of us can boast about it. Here's what, here's what you need to see. God doesn't deal with us based off of our level of human achievement. And so Paul is making it very clear that, look, you couldn't earn this. You don't deserve this. This is not something that you have achieved. And so you can't brag about how good you were. It has nothing to do with how good you are. It's a gift from God. It is his grace. It is his mercy. So God doesn't deal with us based off of any level of our achievement God deals with us based off of our deepest need. When God deals with us, it's off of our deepest need. Here's the thing. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Go to the cross because it's what we needed the most. Why did God raise him from the dead? Because it's what you and I needed the most. See, God doesn't look at us with like, well, what have you done for me lately? Kind of smirk. No, he looks at us and he says, you know what? I know the purpose I created you with and I know who I created you to be. What do I need to do to make that happen? What do I need to do to see that you can be who I created you to be and do what I created you to do? What is their deepest need? We needed a savior. We needed someone, you know, to help us be connected back to God. You know, we needed, we needed Jesus to go ahead and cancel everything that was standing in the way of us coming to God. We need him to remove those things. You know, I, I, I think about it like this. You know, if you want to feel like a, like, a, like, a, like a boss, 
go to a restaurant, eat a meal. And then when you ask them for the, for the check, they were like, oh, no, sir, it's already paid for. Has this ever happened to anybody? I remember a, a few months ago, um, we were in Cracker Barrel. And I, I don't know about you, I've got, I've got three kids and I got a wife and, and all of them, they can throw down at the barrel, okay? It's breakfast all day. They love, I mean, plates on plates happen. So it's, it's ridiculous, okay? And so we're at Cracker Barrel and, and my kids are bottomless pits there. And so, you know, we waited around a while because we were like, hey, I'm, I'm ready to go. I don't understand why they're not bringing us the bill here. You know, I need to pay the bill before we can leave. I'm ready to leave. I want to leave. And so finally I motioned the waiter over and he comes over and I said, hey, you know, we're ready for the check now. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he's like, sir, um, the bill has, has already been paid. And so I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> like, seriously, like somebody paid for all of this. Did they, they mortgage their house or I mean, seriously? And, and then my thought was, so there's nothing stopping me from leaving then? You know, I can move on. I can, uh, I can go to my car. I can, I can, I can go, go on to the next thing. That's right. There was, there was nothing stopping me from moving on. And guys, that's what I want you to understand. Your bill of sin and shame is already paid for. And so the moment that you decide, hey, I want Jesus to come in and be Lord of my life, there is nothing standing between you and God because it's already been taken care of. There's nothing stopping you. The debt was already paid. You don't need three weeks of good behavior and a perfect sinless life to be like, okay, now I can come before God. No, that's achievement. We don't have any of that because God already took care of it. And then here's the last thing I want us to see in verse 10, which is probably one of the most popular passages in the New Testament. It says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. You know, depending on your version of the Bible, it probably says a word like masterpiece or workmanship. When I was in college, I had to write an exegetical paper on this, which is a really fancy way of saying um, I had to study a lot and do a lot of research, uh, more than should be humanly required on this one little passage of scripture, 10 pages on one little verse here. And most of it centered around that word. And what I found out is that when they began translating from the other languages that the Bible was originally written in, one of the words that it got translated into this word that we, we've put in masterpiece or, uh, or workmanship was the word poem. And so what if we were to reread that, but put that in here for we are God's poem. I, I mean, you know, think about that. You know, what is it that, you know, a poem can be a masterpiece, all right? You know, an artist sits down and, and pours everything into it on a blank canvas and stuff. You know, well, what are some things that I'll, you know, how's my life like a poem? What are some things that, that could be, you know, considered a poem, you know, or what do I like about a poem? Well, um, I like them when they make sense, you know, when it's simple, it's not like some, some crazy off the wall talking about something. And then, you know, it's really about something else. You know, I know I like them just to be able to read them and I, I like it to make sense, plain and simple. I like poems when they rhyme, makes them easier to remember. And you know what? I'm, I'm a, I'm a guy. I like poems when they're funny. You know, I, I love it when, when the poem, you know, kind of makes me laugh or, you know, kind of smile. I, I like a funny one. And you hear that and you start thinking, well, then how in the world am I like a poem? Because 
my life right now, it doesn't make sense. And I sound stupid when I rhyme. And the situation that I'm facing today, it's anything but funny. So how is my life like a poem? You're like a poem because just as an artist sits down with a blank canvas and pours all of his heart and his effort and his passion into that poem, God has done the same thing for you. He has created you with purpose and identity. Here's the other thing about a poem. When, when an artist finishes that poem, he doesn't care what anybody else thinks about it or says about it. Because to him, it is a masterpiece. Because the artist is the only one who knows the real purpose of what he's created. Let me tell you something, something guys. When God looks at you, he knows what you created, what he created you to be, what he created you to do, and the price that he paid for that. He knows all of those things. He created you with it. No matter what anyone else thinks, you're his masterpiece. That's what the Bible says. Here's the thing. Many of us try to be the world's masterpiece. We, we've allowed the world to decide, well, this is what's good, pleasing, and perfect, or this is what's acceptable, you know, or this is what will make you happy. Or the... You're not the world's masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. He gave you identity. He gave you purpose. And the end of this verse says that there are things that he has prepared in advance for you to do. That means that God has a plan for who he's created you to be and the purpose he's created you with. It's his plan because you are his masterpiece. Don't try to live up to some world standard or be the world's masterpiece. You will never be happy and you will never be content with that because that's not what you were created with. You are God's masterpiece. Have you, I hope this has helped you tonight. Look, we want you to get into a small group and it's as simple as DMing us the word Zoom. We'll get you connected to a group this week. Hey, we love you. We can't wait to hear the stories that come out of these groups and we can't wait to see you in one of our small groups. Thanks.